for today's sermon, I need a little help from you. I need a little audience participation. I'm going to say the beginning part of a song lyric. I think you'll know it, and I want you to help me finish it where I leave off. Let's try it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Some of you said it out loud, but I'm serious. I want everybody, I don't care where you're sitting, if you're in your living room or if you're in the sanctuary, let's try that again. Let me hear you now. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Good job. Now a little louder for this next part. I want you to help me finish the lyric again. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Wonderful. I once was blind, but now I see. It's from the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, written in 1779. Do you know who wrote that hymn? A man named John Newton. Now, John Newton was never physically blind. So what did he mean? when he said, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What was he blind to if it wasn't physical realities around him? And what could he now see? Well, history might tell us a little clue of what he meant by that lyric. You see, John Newton previously was in the business of human trafficking. That's right, he owned slave ships that would go between Africa and the West, where he trafficked human beings and he sold them into slavery for quite a profit. One night in 1759, he was on one of his ships and a great storm came and he didn't know if the ship was going to survive the storm. And he cried out to God in his desperation and he said, Lord, save me. If you save me, I'll give my life to you. Well, the Lord did save him. His ship didn't wreck, and so he devoted the rest of his life to God. He got to know God more over the next few years. He studied Christian theology. He studied the Bible. He lived in Christian community, and over those years, he became more and more convicted of the evil of his ways. In fact, he was so convicted, finally, that he got out of the slave trading business altogether and joined the cause for abolitionism. Maybe that's what he was referring to when he said, I once was blind, but now I see. He once was blind to the evil of his own ways in operating in the slave trade. And then his eyes were opened to see who his savior was, the one who saved him on the ship that night. And also he was able to see his own sinfulness. His eyes were opened to all of that so that he could live a life of integrity thereafter. He once was blind, but now he sees. You know, in today's scripture, in John chapter 9, it's usually titled, Jesus heals a man born blind. There is a man born blind in the story. Jesus wonderfully and miraculously heals him. He opens his eyes. He rubs some mud that he's created out of his saliva. The man washes in a pool and he comes back and he can see the world around him. Praise the Lord. But it's also a story of all the other characters in John chapter 9, none of whom are materially blind, but all of whom are spiritually blind all of whom could one day share a testimony like John Newton's and they could say, I once was blind, but now I see because of what Jesus was offering to them and what he offers to us. I love it at the end of the story. The Pharisees are finally beginning to get the point of the whole story. And in verse 40, the Pharisees say to Jesus, are we also blind? 
And I think they were asking that sarcastically. <laughs> but I know that they're beginning to understand what Jesus was trying to put across here, that we all have different types of blindness. Some of us, though very few, have materially blindness, material blindness, but many of us have spiritual blindness. And Jesus can do for us with spiritual blindness what he did for the man with material blindness. I've been using this phrase, spiritual blindness, but what do I mean by that? Well, the way that I would define spiritual blindness is this. It's the inability or unwillingness to recognize your sin or your Savior. That's what spiritual blindness is. It's the inability or unwillingness to recognize your own sin or your own Savior. And when I look at this scripture, I see five different kinds of spiritual blindness. And I want us today to ask the same question those Pharisees asked. Are we also blind? Jesus, is there any blindness in us that you would like to open our eyes to so that we might see, we might recognize our own sin, and more importantly, we might recognize our own Savior? So I want us to look at this scripture today. I want, to look at these, I want us to look at these five types, these five variations of spiritual blindness. And I want us all to try to have an honest reflection of our own hearts and say, Jesus, do I have this kind or multiple of these kinds? Will you open my eyes of my heart to see my own sinfulness and to see you, my Savior? But before I dive into these five types, I just want to recognize that this is hard. This is hard for us to do because if we have a blind spot in our lives, we don't know it's there. That's the nature of a blind spot. You don't know what you don't know. You don't see what you don't see. And so I'm just going to stop and pray right now before we look at these five types of spiritual blindness that the Lord would reveal by his spirit if any of us has any of these kinds of spiritual blindness. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would humble us right now we confess we tend to get very defensive when people point out our weaknesses. I confess that to you, Lord. So I just pray that, that you would humble us and then open the eyes of our hearts that we might see in ourselves any type of spiritual blindness, not because we want to feel condemned, but because we want to be forgiven, not because we want to focus on our sin, but because we want to focus on our Savior. So open our eyes, we pray, in Jesus' name. Okay, so what are these five kinds of spiritual blindness? When I look at the characters in John chapter 9, I've been getting to know them pretty well over the last week as I read it and reread it. I see all these variations of spiritual blindness that are honestly exhibited in our day and age as well. They're exhibited in my own heart on any given day of the week. So let's look at them together. The first type of spiritual blindness that I see in this scripture, it's, it's the simplest one. It's simply disbelief. Disbelief. We see it in the neighbors of the man who was born blind in verse 8. It says, the neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. 
You see, what's happening here, they're just simply not believing. They had actually witnessed a miracle of God right in front of them. They recognized that this man used to be blind and now he can see, but their disbelief blinded them to the miracle that was before their eyes. Some of them said, it must be someone who looks like him. I just simply don't believe it. Now I see this kind of spiritual blindness in our day and age a little bit, where I see some people who witness the very glory of God, either in the the sparkle of creation around them, or in actual miraculous works done in their midst, and they just simply choose not to believe that God is real. Or other people who sit in the pews of the sanctuary and they hear the, the gospel proclaimed in a clear way. They learn what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And at the end of the day, they just simply say, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Disbelief. It's a type of spiritual blindness. It blinds us to seeing our own sinfulness and our own Savior. The second type of spiritual blindness that I see in this scripture goes a little bit deeper, goes into the heart a little bit, and it's judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. Judgmentalism usually is the awareness of the sins of the people around you, but the unawareness of your own sin. We first see it in the disciples in verse 2. They ask this curious question. The disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Just a simple question, probably has to do with their own theological categories, but they simply say, oh, there's a man who's born blind. Somebody must have sinned here. You see, they're curious about the the sin of other people. doesn't seem maybe that judgmental, but certainly when the Pharisees begin focusing on the sins of other people around them, it does feel pretty judgmental. In verse 34, they've got this man who's been healed on trial in front of them, and they say this to him, "Uh, you were born in utter sin, And you would teach us, and they cast him out. You see, this is judgmentalism. They can clearly see that this man was born in sin. They're they're just sure of it. But the assumption here is that they weren't. He couldn't lecture them. He couldn't talk to them because they they were sinless, you see. You know, we have this amazing ability, we human beings, to see the sin in others and be blinded of our own. Jesus, masterfully, illustrated this truth. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, when he says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? But you can't recognize the log in your own eye. Isn't that a masterful illustration from Jesus? We get so fixated on the, the small sins of the people around us that we can be unaware of any large sins happening in our own lives. I see this playing out in the political realm in our time. I have some friends who are on one side of the political spectrum, and they get their news from a particular news channel, and they get their information from a particular Twitter feed and Facebook page and list of podcasts, and what do they hear from all those resources? They hear about all the evils of all the people on the opposite side of the political spectrum all the terrible things that they do and all the good things that their politicians do. And I have other friends on the other side of the political spectrum and they have their own news channel and their own Twitter feeds and their own Facebook pages and their own podcasts. And what are all those resources saying to them? They're saying, look at all the evil 
on the other side of the political spectrum. And look at all the good things our politicians are doing. They see the specks in each other's eyes. And they're unaware of the logs in their own. It's easy to see it in the political arena. But it also happens in our personal lives, doesn't it? I see it happening in marriages. We are all always able to cite chapter and verse of the wrongdoings of our spouse. Look at how she disrespects me. Look at how he isn't there for me. And we're unaware of seeing the things that we bring to the table that contribute to the unhealthy dynamics in our marriage. Judgmentalism, the type of spiritual blindness, the log in our eyes blinds us to seeing. It's blindness. The third category is narrow-mindedness. Narrow-mindedness. We see this in some of the Pharisees. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. We saw this in last week's sermon as well. Some people just couldn't accept Jesus for who he said he was because he was doing miracles on the Sabbath. See, their minds were, were narrowed. They had a specific set of categories and expectations for how the Son of God would actually operate if he was here on earth. And they were pretty sure about these categories. They were narrow-minded about them to the point where Jesus himself, the very Son of God, the very Savior of the world, sent by God to save us from our sins and do miracles in our midst, he's standing right before them. And they say, it can't be him. Because they were narrow-minded. They were basically saying, I can't believe in a God who would perform miracles on the Sabbath. And that might sound a little bit silly to us in our day and age, but I actually see this playing out in our time as well. I hear people who, they maybe want to believe in God, but they see things happening in this world and they say, I can't believe in a God who would allow that to happen. But do you see what we do when we have that kind of thought? We basically have placed our minds above the mind of God in our own view. We've placed our intellect, our way of seeing the universe and how it should operate above the intellect of God. It's an intellectual thing basically saying, if there was a God, he would have to operate in the categories that my intellect says he should operate. And we place ourselves above the mind of God. That's how it plays out in, in real time. Some of us actually operate this way sometimes, maybe even unknowingly. And it blinds us. It's a form of spiritual blindness because even if God was on the move in our midst, operating outside of our categories, we might look at it and say, it can't be him. I don't believe it. And narrow-mindedness blinds us to seeing the very works of God. Fourthly, self-protection. Self-protection. We meet the parents of this man 
who has been healed by Jesus, the man who was born blind, who can now see. They too get brought out onto trial in front of the Pharisees, and they're asked, are you too going to proclaim Jesus Christ was the one who did this miracle? Now, these parents actually knew who it was. They knew it was Jesus who healed their son. Yet, when they are asked, they say, you know, you should probably ask our son. He's of age. They throw their son under the bus. Why? It actually tells us in verse 22 exactly why they did that. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You see, what they're doing here is they're self-protecting. They know the rules that the Pharisees had set up. Anybody who claims Christ will be thrown out of the synagogue. Now, this was a big deal in the time of Jesus. If you were thrown out of your synagogue, you were basically losing your way of life, your community, your friends, your, 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 your weekly schedule. All of that was just thrown off. You would lose your way of life. And they recognized if we state that Jesus is who we saw him to be, we have everything to lose. And I see this playing out in our time as well. When any of us really recognizes Jesus for who he was, who he is, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of our lives. A Lord is someone from whom we take commands. When we realize that, we realize if we fully surrender our lives over to him as he is worthy of, then things might change in our lives. The things that we are holding on to with our human grip, we might have to let go of. And so for self-protective measures, we blind ourselves from seeing him for who he really is. Self-protection. The fifth category, the fifth type of spiritual blindness that I see in these characters is arrogance. Arrogance. Let's look at these Pharisees. And how arrogant they are in their position. Verse 26, they said to the man who they've got on trial now, the man who his eyes had been healed. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) I love this line. It's one of my favorite digs in all of scripture hey, you Pharisees are kind of obsessed with this Jesus guy. I think maybe you want to follow him. I wonder if this guy thought this was a bit of a joke. Well, the Pharisees didn't find it to be a joke. Verse 28, they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. You see their arrogance on display. You're following this Jesus, this up-and-comer guy claiming to be the Messiah, but you know who our disciples are? Perhaps you've heard of him. His name is Moses. You know, the one who said you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. We're disciples of, of his. You see their arrogance. They're so sure of their theological position. We're disciples of Moses that they were unable to see Jesus in his works when it was right in front of their faces. They were blind because of their theological arrogance. This too plays out in our day and age. Usually this kind of spiritually blind person is in the church. This is a spiritually blind person who looks and acts and operates for all intents and purposes like a Christian, but they're so stuck in their theological ways, their arrogance blinds them to seeing perhaps some new movements of God in their church. 
are in the kingdom. They say, oh, that, that can't be because John Calvin didn't say it would happen that way. Or whoever their favorite theologian is, they're stuck following this one system of theology and they become arrogant in it, just like these Pharisees. So those are the five kinds of spiritual blindness that I see in this scripture today. Disbelief, judgmentalism, narrow-mindedness, self-protection, and arrogance. Do any of those resemble anything in your own life? Now, it's possible you just don't know. They're blind spots. So ask the people around you. Ask the people you love and trust. And try to fire your inner lawyer when that happens. If you go to your spouse or someone you love and you say, hey, do I have any of these? Try not to be defensive. And if you're someone who does get asked, you know, to reflect on someone else's life, don't condemn them. Just simply say it in love. Say, yeah, you know, sometimes I I think you're a little arrogant. And then go to the Savior together and ask for forgiveness. Ask that God would open our eyes to recognize our own sin and our own Savior. It's available to all of us. You know, the story ends in an interesting way. The man whose physical eyes had been opened by Jesus, he too needed the eyes of his heart, his spiritual eyes opened. He goes and finds Jesus. Actually, Jesus goes and finds him. I love that aspect of the story. Jesus seeks him out. And he's standing right in front of the man whose physical eyes had been opened. And the man's not quite sure who he's looking at. In verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him. The man's asking, where can I find this Messiah who healed my eyes? You have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He worshiped him. I love this. It's awesome what Jesus had done for the man earlier in the story. He opened his physical eyes. That's an awesome miracle. The man could suddenly see the world around him. The beauty of the green of tree leaves. The blue of the sky. The sunlight sparkling on water. The various colors of the feathers of birds flying around. That's an awesome miracle, but even more profound, even more awesome is the miracle that Jesus gave him next when he opened the eyes of the man's heart and the man was able to see Jesus face to face standing right before him. And the man said, I believe. And he worshiped him. What an experience. So how about you? How about you? Can you sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. Jesus offers the same thing to us that he gave to this man to open up our eyes. I can't open your eyes. I'm just a human preacher of the word, but he can. So let's go to him now. Jesus, Jesus, look us right in the face in this moment. We confess to you our sinfulness, our disbelief, our judgmentalism. 
our narrow-mindedness, our self-protection, and our arrogance. Show us, Lord, if any of us has any of those things, any of those ways we become blind. And now, Holy Spirit, Jesus, come, open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts that we might recognize not just our own sin, but our own Savior. Thank you for saving us, for doing the work on the cross to save us from our sins. Thank you for opening our eyes. We pray these things in your name. Amen.